Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Reverend Eric Mason. Before we get to our question today, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. The more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, send a direct message on Twitter to at Islam's Questions. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. In our last conversation, you and I looked at the answers to the question, What is the story of the Bible? Part 8. The Return of the King. Using the Nicene Creed as our starting point, we looked at a future event in time. We looked at the events surrounding the return of the King, the return of Lord Jesus. Together, we learned that the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, falls into the category of apocalyptic literature. And together, we looked at parts of the Bible which help us interpret the highly symbolic book of Revelation. And in doing so, we learned that when Lord Jesus returns, he will do so first in power and glory, second to judge all of humanity, and third to establish his eternal reign over his kingdom. And that brings us to today's episode. Today we are continuing our previous conversations by entering the ninth and final installment of our series titled, What is the Story of the Bible? Today's episode is subtitled, God Makes All Things New. Now before we move on, I want to say thank you so much to all of you who have been following along with the series. We have finally arrived at the end of it. Now, of course, that means in the coming weeks, we will be moving on to more of your other questions. But as always, before we continue our conversation for today, let me open with a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. To start our time today, we are going to look at the relevant portion of the Nicene Creed, and this will act as our launching point for this episode. The Nicene Creed contains these words about the renewal of all things. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. In our last episode, we learned that at the return of Lord Jesus, all of humanity will be resurrected, some to eternal life and others to eternal punishment. 
to this day, many people erroneously believe that eternal life will actually be in a place called heaven. Fun fact. The word heaven comes from the Greek word uranos, which according to the Lexham Theological Word Book is defined as the part of the universe that cannot be identified as the earth, the domain in which clouds hover and birds fly, the domain where stars and other heavenly bodies exist, the realm of transcendent beings in which God dwells on his throne and from which Jesus came. Now, contrary to popular belief, Heaven is not where we eternally reside when we die. It's not an eternal resting place for our souls after we die. For believers in Lord Jesus, heaven is only the temporary residence for our souls after we die. When Lord Jesus returns and resurrects all of humanity, our souls will be given a new glorified body by, with, and through the power of God after which we will reside permanently in the kingdom of God. And this kingdom will be a united kingdom, a kingdom in which heaven and earth are no longer separated from each other, a place where God dwells with his people forever. In the Gospel of Matthew, Lord Jesus described the events of the last days to his disciples. And one section of that speech is particularly important for our discussion today. Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields because of my name, will receive a hundred times more, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. From this passage, we can learn five things about what will happen at the renewal of all things. First... The twelve apostles will be judges. Second, those who left behind everything to follow after Lord Jesus will receive eternal life. Third, God's economy is different than our economy. In man's economy, status and hierarchy are based on our success and achievements. But in God's economy, the notion of hierarchy based on human achievement is done away with. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Fourth, the judgment will take place in the renewal of all things. As such, the event of the final judgment and renewal of all things are closely linked events. And last but not least, or I should say fifth, Judas's place among the twelve would have to be replaced. You see, even though at the time of this speech, Lord Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, which includes Judas, Lord Jesus knew that Judas would one day betray him, forfeiting his place in the kingdom of God. However, Lord Jesus also knew another among his close followers would replace Judas. And this took place in the 10 days between the Ascension and Pentecost. At that time, the followers of Lord Jesus were together praying. 
And sometime between the Ascension and Pentecost, Peter, the blessed disciple, stood up and revealed that Scripture dictates that they must replace Judas. And this is what happened next. Acts chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So, Matthias was the twelfth apostle of Lord Jesus, replacing the spot of Judas. Now, why am I spending so much time talking about the twelve apostles? Well, it's because often numbers in the Bible contain deeper meaning. In fact, one of the many defining actions of the coming Messiah would be a reuniting of the twelve tribes of Israel. Therefore, when the Gospel authors write about Lord Jesus selecting the twelve, they are signaling to the reader that the specific prophecy of the reuniting of the twelve tribes of Israel was uniquely fulfilled in the selection of those twelve men. As such, at the renewal of all things, the twelve apostles will partake in the judgment of those from the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, once again, in the last podcast, you and I discussed the nature of apocalyptic literature. We discussed how it's difficult to interpret a book like the book of Revelation without context from the other books of the Bible. However, there is one passage from the book of Revelation that summarizes quite well the beauty of the renewal of all things. And it is a passage which, even though it's symbolic, is still clear in its overall message. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look! God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, 
which is the second death. I think it's important to understand that the defining line for eternal life is belief in Lord Jesus' incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. It is belief in Lord Jesus that is the criteria for eternal life. And this line is what informs what Christians actually believe about those who died before Lord Jesus' incarnation. Those who died before Lord Jesus' incarnation will be given eternal life based on their belief in the coming Messiah and their obedience to God. But all who didn't believe, all who didn't know, all unbelievers will be resurrected to eternal punishment. They will be banished from the kingdom of God and exiled from God's presence forever. Lord Jesus refers to this as the second death. This second death means that the unbelievers will be sent to hell. Now there's one caution I want to bring up. When we start focusing on God's judgment and the criteria for eternal life and eternal punishment, we often make the mistake of turning faith into a mathematical formula. We can even make the mistake of thinking that if we just do enough good deeds, we can outweigh our bad ones. These equations and formulas we make in our mind don't take into consideration just how corrupt we are as a result of sin. In fact, we must realize that some will be given eternal life who, according to our standards, deserve eternal punishment. And in addition to that, some who we believe will be given eternal life will receive eternal punishment. Only God can see a person's heart. Therefore, God only knows whether one truly believes in Lord Jesus or not. Now, regardless of all that, when it comes to the renewal of all things, being distracted by God's judgment can make us miss the beauty of what is being described as John describes the renewal of all things. At the renewal of all things, sin and death will have no place in the kingdom of God. And as a result, the old heavens and the old earth will, like all of us, be resurrected into a glorified form. And this resurrected form will unite the two realms into one kingdom. All who dwell within the kingdom of God will be given eternal life and will never again experience pain, suffering, sickness, or death. Our hearts, minds, and wills will forever be rightly oriented to the triune God and toward perfectly expressing love first to God, then to each other, and finally to glorified creation. Now we must ask ourselves, what is the purpose of all this renewal? Couldn't God have just given us resurrected bodies and a new earth while still ruling from heaven? Yes, he could have. But the purpose of the renewal of all things rests in the fact that God is love. And because God is love, he can do nothing but will the good of the other. 
God designed humanity in His image. He designed us for communion and community with God and with each other. Therefore, the greatest good God wills for us is to be present with us forever. And because God is the utmost good, the best thing He can do is dwell with us, not separate from us, but with us. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. God desires to dwell with us. This is the truth from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. We chose to reject Him. But His love for us is infinitely greater than our sins. So much so that He gave us His word to the prophets. So much so that He gave us His one and only Son. So much so that His Son gave His life as atonement for our sins so much so that his son was resurrected so that death could be conquered. So much so that through our faith in the Son, we would be given the Holy Spirit so that we could be empowered to expand God's boundaryless kingdom, adding more people to his family daily until Lord Jesus returns and makes all things new. To end our time today, and to wrap up these nine lessons, it's fitting to repeat the Nicene Creed in its entirety. And as I do, reflect on the words as they relate to the entire story of the Bible. Once again, the Nicene Creed reads like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son he is worshipped and glorified. 
He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that as you continue to seek God, you ask for visions and clarity on all these Christian claims. And if you'd like some good resources on the material I cover today, I recommend taking a look at Revelation, an Introduction and Commentary by Leon Morris and the Lexham Theological Wordbook and Dictionaries, which are both available through software called Logos. I also recommend the CSB Study Bible, which of course is also the Bible translation I use. And if you don't have a Bible, I recommend downloading the Version app and selecting the CSB version from the list of translations. That's version, as in Y-O-U version. And that sound means it's about time to wrap up. Before we close our time together, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. And the more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have specific questions about what you hear on the show, or want me to elaborate a bit more on a topic, send a direct message on Twitter to at Islam's questions. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or co-worker and ask them about the things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. Well, from my home recording studio in the Little India neighborhood in Chicago, Illinois, to wherever you're listening, I want to say thank you so much for continuing our conversation. Thank you, and God bless. <laughs>